So white-tailed deer hunting, obviously one of the most popular hunts in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a species that lots of people have access to. There's there's deer coast to coast, lots of the areas. There's plenty of opportunity to get tags. And a lot of people get stuff wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and you guys get to see a lot of it. So what are some common mistakes that people make, not just here, but just white-tail hunting in general, um, some advice that you could generally offer to people? Just be patient. Be I patient. Mean, honestly, what, what does that mean? Yeah. Don't, uh, if you go and hunt and you don't see what you're looking for, just Depends right away. age class too. Like, and I mean, don't just think, oh, I got to go somewhere different tomorrow. I mean, as long as the wind's right and that's like where you've decided is the best place to, best opportunity to harvest what you're trying to get, stick with it. Yeah. As long as the wind's right. These are stories of outdoor adventure and expert advice from folks with calloused hands. I'm James Nash, and this is the Six Ranch Podcast. The Six Ranch Podcast is brought to you by Sig Sauer. SIG is a leading provider and manufacturer of firearms, electro-optics, ammunition, air guns, and suppressors. For over 250 years, SIG Sauer Inc. has evolved and thrived by blending American ingenuity, German engineering, and Swiss precision. Today, SIG Sauer is synonymous with industry-leading quality and innovation, which has made it the brand of choice amongst the U.S. military the global defense community, law enforcement, competitive shooters, hunters, and responsible citizens. Sig Sauer is also a premier provider of elite firearms instruction and tactical training at the Sig Sauer Academy located in New Hampshire. For more information about Sig Sauer and its complete line of products, visit SigSauer.com. Well, we've got... What, what kind of name is, uh, is Tutac? Jeez, I have no idea. Yeah, it's a cool name. Yeah. Cody Tutak and Chan Smith, six-star outfitters. And uh, are we in western Kansas? Are we in southwest Kansas? Mm, west central. West central? Yeah. Depends what part of the state you talk to. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the state considers everything this way west. Yeah. Wichita and west. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we're out here... Doing some deer hunting, going to do some coyote hunting, and we're in the middle of a dust storm right now. That's pretty impressive weather outside. Yeah. You never know what you're going to get here. Yeah. So the weather today has gotten as high as 73. It's supposed to get as low as 10, and right now it's blowing 50 miles an hour. Yeah, that sounds about like a normal day. (laughs) No one in Kansas is concerned yet. (laughs) At what point do people get concerned about the wind? You see a deer blow across the road? <laughs> uh, they say 50. I mean, yeah. 30 to 40, that's common. Mm-hmm. Now, your dad was telling me that tornadoes aren't as much of a thing as they used to be. Uh, no, not as much. It's Those come in spurts. I mean, really? some years are just bad and some years aren't. And pretty much every one of them, almost, is just out across the open. I mean, they'll hit a farmhouse or two, but yeah, very, very seldom do they hit towns. Which is good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we get a weird sense of things because 
you know, most of the country doesn't deal with it. So you kind of think that everybody's like ready to jump in a storm cellar any given moment. Is <laughs> mm-hmm. that not really the no, case? Everybody yeah. goes outside to look. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and vehicles to track it down. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, no, the tornadoes aren't that bad. Yeah. What is bad? You guys get some cold yeah. winters? Yeah. Hot summers? Some. Yeah. Summers are probably worse. Yeah. Definitely the summers are worse. Um, we get a lot of hailstorms, honestly. It seems yeah. like those get more and more common, which is hard on the bird populations, the pheasants and quail and sure. turkeys. And, Never thought about that. Yeah. Um, your your bird populations will fluctuate depending on where hailstorms were early in the year. And uh, that's, that's a common bad thing on the weather, but everything else, I mean, we get droughts we get floods we get snow plenty of 80 degrees next day yeah i mean yeah. legit i mean seen several in my life like 80 to 90 degree temperature swings in 24 48 hours both of you guys lived here your whole lives mm-hmm. yep and uh how long have you been coyote hunting oh man i've probably been 17 18 years now um probably eight yeah I was a late bloomer. <laughs> Tell me about coyote hunting competitions. How how do they work? Um, so I mean, generally we'll have to drive anywhere from half an hour to two hours from home to go check in on Friday night. They give us all the rules and the layout of uh how the contest will be held, and uh, then you leave that. And when the sun comes up the next day. 30 minutes before sunrise you can start and as you start killing coyotes you take pictures of them as you're going send them in at some contest you send those photos in um and then at some you just uh you have to clamp a block of wood in their mouth okay and uh just turn that in at the end but it just varies and so then on like a one-day tournament then you got to be back for check-in at like seven o'clock on saturday and uh Whoever has the most or the most weight, whichever they're going off of, depending on the tournament, um, that's how they judge the winners. And then they have other side deals like biggest coyote, smallest coyote, stuff like that. And it's just fun to go out and compete and put your skills against others and see how you're doing. Cody, you're telling me that the competitive aspect of it sort of reignited your your love of coyote hunting yeah i'm a very competitive person it's just when you have to make a strategy coming into the day based on plan a plan b and plan c depending on the weather it, it it's it's the planning part that makes it to when it comes actually all together and you're successful it makes it satisfying more mm-hmm. rewarding and that's what we have Shane for. He's the navigator <laughs> and the planner. He's more coordinated. Everything's color coordinated, ready to go for the morning. <laughs> and then last couple that sets of the day is coordinated, and everything else in between there is a cluster. Yeah. we <laughs> Most tournaments are three-man tournaments. Some are just two, but most are three. And we run uh, three of us, me, Cody, and then another friend of ours, and yeah, I would say for the most part, I kind of put together the the plan of how the day's going to go, where we're going to go, and all that. And uh, Cody's really good at calling. You can kind of read the situation and the the layout and the area, and generally 
seems to be playing the right stuff in the right spots and um our other buddy he's he's just flat out good at shooting like <laughs> i mean if we hear his gun go boom we know it's that's yeah, a point yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. so we all kind of have our own little part in the team i was curious about that how those roles set up do you find that with other teams that are as successful as you guys where they've got you know somebody who's good at the logistics and planning and somebody that's good at calling and somebody that's good at shooting yeah, yeah. It, i would say all teams kind of seem to be built pretty much like that the guys that are really good at it all you you get your part you know in the team and you you execute your job yeah and then you leave you know you trust that the others are doing their end and it it comes together well you can read body language and stuff too after yeah you find it together I'll give an example our, our team name is team helen keller okay <laughs> because we, every one of us has a a certain aspect about him i can't see and our other partner can't hear <laughs> yeah. I mean it kind of fits hand in hand you lose one sense you pick up another I think, I think with our generation especially like we didn't grow up with hearing protection but we grew up loving to shoot so there's a lot of guys who are you know in their 30s and 40s if they're still shooting they probably lost their hearing 100% um, yeah. and it's really unfortunate and I try hard now to make sure that I've either got a silencer on gun or hearing protection. I, I can't encourage people enough to not only do that for themselves, but to set that example for, for this younger generation so that they see that. And, you know, it was almost dorky to me to see somebody wearing oh, hearing yeah. protection when I was a kid. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. It's not fashionable. Yeah. But, uh, gosh, that was the wrong, wrong thing for, for me to think. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like wearing a bike helmet when you're a kid riding a bike. Sure. You know, it looks goofy, but... Yeah, you should do that. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because it wasn't very long before they legalized suppressors here in Kansas. Huh? Yeah. Like, suppressors were... Uh, that was a huge game changer. I mean, in predator hunting, it's just made it so much... So more much more... enjoyable, f- almost. Yeah, yeah, and efficient. Yeah. Um, well, you guys, you know, set me up for a tremendous deer hunt as well. Um and I was using a, a SIG silencer on that rifle this morning. And there were other deer in the area when I shot, but they didn't even move from the shot. And we see that. I see that with elk. I see it with, with deer. You're not blasting out this entire area and disrupting a huge swath of wildlife, mm-hmm. you know. So it's not just about preserving your own hearing. It's about causing less disturbance in the environment that you're hunting in. Yeah. I think that's hugely valuable too. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, we got into the thermal hunting a little bit in the last year. They just legalized it here a couple of years ago. And that makes that, that much better as well, because you're out there in the the nighttime. And I mean, houses, yeah, you you don't want to be stirring it up, Mm -hmm. you know, just loud booms and, uh, so having that suppressor just helps in so many different ways and it makes it where you can get kids involved. That's yep. probably my favorite is it helps reduce some recoil and it also, you know, obviously kills the sound. And so it, it makes it where you can take a younger kid at, you know, much younger age than they would normally start and get them involved and get them excited and in it. And it's it's pretty... super easy to get a silencer now too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very um, easy. You know, when I 
first got one, it was a process. I had to go to this place and, you know, pay money and then go to this place and schedule an appointment and come back and get fingerprinted and then take these documents here. And, you know, it was really hard. Now you can go to a kiosk and, you know, it's takes less time than renewing your driver's license. Mm -hmm. It's a piece of cake. You always do it the first of the year after season. That way, the summer, you're not thinking about it. (laughs) Yeah. Get that phone call. Yep. Yeah, and with the e-forms, it's supposed to only take 90 days right now. Oh, okay. yeah. So we had nice. some people do that here locally, and uh, the, one of the guys that put it in right when it started, um, he just got his last week. Yeah. Unfortunately, it was like 220 days, but I think they're working on it, you know? Sure. I mean, it's the federal government, right? They're not, <laughs> not super in a hurry. good at stuff. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, I got... I got mine in less time with the e-forms than it would have taken. Yeah, that's what I think, too. I think, yeah, most people I was hearing, you know, it was like a year, year and a half there this last year. Right. He got it in 220, so that's half the time. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, that's showing game. Yeah. Yeah. Your guys' uh, coyotes have quite a bit of mange. (laughs) They look like chupacabras. (laughs) Hairless ones. There is a, there's a good batch of them in some areas, and it it definitely fluctuates. Yeah. I mean. I can remember when I first started, you know, 15 years ago, the area that I was calling was, there was more mangy coyotes than there was good. Really? And now in that area, I honestly, I don't see very many mangy ones. So yeah. it just... Pockets. It runs its course. Yeah. and um, But it's ugly, man. When it happens, it's... You yeah. almost feel bad for them. I yeah. feel so bad for yeah. them. I mean, There's a naked coyote yeah. out there in the cold. I went and pulled a ground blind after rifle season. It's probably seven years ago and uh when i opened that ground blind up there's a dead coyote laying inside of it really he had crawled up under there and we'd had a bad ice storm that you know sometime in that week and he was frozen solid he was curled up inside wow. there though, but mm. just dead it scared the heck out of me yeah. when i opened that door oh, and i yeah, seen that i'm like smell, probably yeah no it was froze you know but man i i would have made a noise i always, oh, sure. I always oh. check for like uh. skunks so i'm always like peeking in there looking for black and white and when my eyes caught that ugly looking thing i jumped i didn't know what i just saw oh my gosh yeah Ugh. you can smell those things you get upwind even about 10 yeah. feet it swirls and it's like well, I don't want you guys giving away secrets, but tell me a little bit about how you like to to run a stand here, um, because you've got to be really efficient with your time, but you've got to get the coyotes that are there. Yeah, uh, it differs. It's terrain. Um, I mean, it's not really a secret, but you know, our midday when coyotes are kind of laid up, you want to be in closer, tighter yeah. to them. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you kind of situate your call and. You know, trying to set people on the downwind side to be able to get those coyotes coming in back door, and it's just something that you you learn as you go. I mean, it's it's all basically trial and error. Yeah. You can watch all the shows you want to until you actually experience it. Like you have to make your own adjustments to got, every situation. Yeah, and you got to read the day as it's playing out. Mm-hmm. I mean, we plan ahead, watching mm-hmm. forecasts and all that, but. But you know in the first three sets if you're gonna if the coyotes are gonna move in that area. Yep. And you'll know too. I mean, are they moving good in the big open country or mm-hmm. is it one of them days where you just gotta get in the in go, the creek bottoms? Yeah, or go and, forty miles south or something, yeah. you know, and change a whole new area. Yep. Until you find what's clicking on that day, it's uh it's just kind of a guessing a grind. game at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. You do what you start out with like what's been working best in the last couple of weeks type of thing, but 
as soon as it's not working, I mean, yeah, you're grinding it out, trying to find like what's clicking today. How are we going to make this happen? And then until you find that, it's just trial and error. Talk to me a little bit about gear. Do you bring a shotgun to a stand? Yeah. Somebody, somebody shotgun. Yep. Yeah. Usually have two. Yeah, I'd say we do. We're pretty. I would say we're pretty good at uh, making almost any day work. Because the thing about tournaments is, um, I mean, you can't just pick a day of great calling weather. So, on the day of the tournament, it's it is what it is. And so in Kansas, often it's windy. Yeah. So most guys wouldn't go coyote calling on those days. So we've adjusted quite well and made it where we've gotten good with the shotguns because what we do is get in there tight with them. Mm-hmm. And it's not... I'll, when you're hunting with multiple people and you've hunted together long enough, like we have strategies. If we have more than one coyote coming in with a hard charger, the lead guy, he lets that first coyote go and that shotgunner basically waiting until that rifleman shoots mm-hmm. because that's a free coyote. Unless he's leaving, you take the free coyote. Mm-hmm. You always do because trying to get on a, a coyote running with a rifle and a scope is nearly impossible inside 50 yards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a shotgun is key to, to any sort of tournament or coyote calling. Yeah. And, do you have any sights on your shotguns? Do you put red dots on them or anything like that? No. no. We've all grown up shooting waterfowl. A Mine doesn't lot, even have a beat on So we've, uh, <laughs> we've, we're just pretty, we were actually more, we are more natural shotgunners than we are riflemen. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. honestly. And, uh, that's, uh, comes in handy. It does. Yeah. And it's when you're just grinding it out on shotgunning days, it's kind of, I mean, to an extent, it's not as fun Yeah, because it's fun to see them coyotes, you know, coming from a distance, but, um, well, yeah, Cody's (laughs) blind. So he ain't got, he's never seen one from a distance, (laughs) but you know, when you get one, uh, you, you get them called in and you're close. Sometimes it's just the excitement's only like five seconds it's yeah. like wow okay and it was worth it you know that's what we're there for is going after that that adrenaline rush but it's so much more fun when you can see them coming from a distance and a lot of guys that's what they get tied up in is just wanting to see that and it's like well do you want to win or do you want to see cool stuff you gotta like, be able to read body language though when they're coming in that close so mm-hmm. it took us our third guy you know it's another trial and error thing like if coyote stops panic you know you gotta be able to read that and know he's just checking up yeah you know, scan everything and then well that's like you know, thermal i had a lot of people tell me they're like man you gotta you you really need a rangefinder on that thermal optic because you can't tell distance they're like yeah. oh it's terrible and i was like man i don't know that's another thousand bucks and they're already expensive so i didn't buy a, a rangefinder on my first one and um i don't think i need it um yeah. I, I agree, you can't tell distance very well, but the thing is, is I can read their language. So I know, like, <laughs> most of them aren't leaving. Right, Just keep yeah. keep calling. Yeah. And by the time it's time to shoot, they're inside 100, so it's you're not trying to judge drop or anything. It's, right. And I think that's what a lot of guys are doing is they just don't read the coyotes very well, and if the coyote stops, then it's all over. Yeah. And it's panic. Yeah. We've got uh, Mr. Mr. Jackson. He's three years old. Shane's son here. Needed a bag of chips open real quick. Um, and your brother shot a deer last night. How old's your brother? He's five. He's five. So yeah. you can hunt at any age in Kansas? Yep. That's awesome. Yep. And, uh, yeah, he was, 
he's been adamant wanting to go deer hunting. <laughs> I talked him out it finally. He was wanting to do it with a crossbow for a while, and I finally said, you know, let's wait until gun season, and he was still wanting to go. <laughs> it all it's came cool together for him. Drive young, young of age. Yes. <laughs> and once again, the suppressor, man. I mean, yeah, he just loves shooting. You know, my my best friend's daughter has only shot suppressed rifles, oh. and he's a big time waterfowler. And he would love it if she would go out and uh, and hunt ducks with him. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't like shotguns because mm-hmm. they're loud. It's um, almost like training the lab. You know, you don't want to be gun shy. You just right. have to work them into it. So I've I've told people that the only bad thing about a suppressor is that they'll they'll kind of weaken you and make you only want to shoot suppressed guns after that. Yeah. Spoil and, you. you know, I was halfway joking with that, but now seeing that with her, it's like, oh wow, that actually happened. Yep. You know, she she saw the good life and got used to that, and now we can't get her to shoot a shotgun. Yeah. That, that, Which is fine. The suppressors they make for shotguns, I mean, if they can make yeah. 12, 12 inches, what are those things that hang over? Oh, like, they're, they're big, and they're oblong, yeah. and they're pretty goofy. Yeah. yeah. I've never even heard one shot. I mean, does it make a huge difference like a rifle? I haven't actually shot one. I've, I I've seen them, but yeah. I would think so. I mean, for you the most part, it's subsonic. Yeah. I put a red dot on my shotgun this year and was using that for waterfowl, mm-hmm. and uh, it improved my accuracy substantially. Really, I had a red dot on when I was shooting um, shooting trap in the Marine Corps, mm-hmm. and I did really well with that, and I took it off for some reason, and uh, I recently went back to it, and I think I'm going to keep it on there for coyotes, and I'll probably set one shotgun up with a red dot for day, and then we've got a, a thermal... Uh, that's a reflex site. Mm-hmm. So it's just a, it's like a TV screen. You oh, can wow. fire the thing from your hip. Yeah. I'm going to put that on another shotgun for nighttime calling. But the thermal game is so good. I mean, those coyotes are, they're so, they're so cocky at night. Yeah. yeah they drop Especially all their Especially a state yeah. that's never been able to hunt coyotes at night. I right. Mean, it's a whole, it's like cheating. Mm-hmm. So you weren't able to hunt at night at all, mm-hmm. like with spotlights or anything? No, three years Farmers ago. could if there are livestock issues, but they're the only ones that can hunt or yeah. shoot them. Gotcha. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a, it's it's different. It's a whole different, you know, I started with a light when it first happened, when they first legalized it and like it's so many what ifs in the thermal game with that. I mean, you can see background, Yeah. you know, you can see the houses out here. You can see the the livestock, everything else. Cause that's the biggest part. That's why it always stopped me from, you know, getting really into it at first. It was because of that. You shoot one, something bad happened. I mean, that could whole area would hear about it yeah you know you don't want that reputation you know sure um i know turkeys are a really important wildlife species for kansas uh i've seen eight times more coyotes this trip than i've seen turkeys <laughs> about the last 25 years in kansas is declining yeah. is is it f- fair to say that the coyotes are having a negative impact on the turkey population i don't think so no i think we i think we took a hard hit from Fur prices. Well, that and I think the big rain we had. It rained it's, so it's, much for it's over twenty years, though. I mean, that's it's just five years ago. We, I was getting phone calls still five years ago of just every year was farmers were calling saying, "Hey, either you get out here and start shooting them, or I'm going to start giving permission to people because the turkeys, yeah. yeah, because yeah. they plant their cornfield or their bean field, and the, there'd be a hundred turkeys following the tractor around right. just picking the seed yeah. and. So, um, in the last five years, I've 
I haven't had a single farmer even talk about mm. a turkey. You don't see them during, I mean, when they're... Like, they just f- drastically fell. And you don't see jakes like you used to. Mm. And this year we did. We saw a ton of them. Um, mm. But it's kind of funny because it didn't rain this year. And, um, yeah, it, like, our areas along creeks and rivers are just... You haven't seen a jake in years. Wow. And There's so, certain areas that have higher yeah. populations still for some reason. Yeah, we went from 300 turkeys in one area, like five mile stretch, to, I mean, you know, we're probably below 30. Mm-hmm. And you don't think predation was a part of that? It is. Um, well, you got raccoons because, and no one kills them anymore. Yeah, so you got, oh, okay. you got it. The way I look at Pesticides. it is they, they start a nest and that creek comes out of its banks and floods it out. They're all dead, all of them. And they say they'll re-nest, which is good. And um, if that creek, it's one thing if you get like a flood, flooding rain one year. But for four years, it flooded out creeks like three, four times a year. Gotcha. And so it was like, they just couldn't catch a break. Yep. And so, but then our areas where we have sand, like the sand hills. Yep. Those turkeys, they're down, but they're still plentiful to hunt. Whereas, like, up on that creek, I'm talking, we don't even hunt it. Like, you can't. If you do, it's, it'd be very unsportsmanlike. Gotcha. So, but down in that sand, you know, those big rains, for one, it's not a creek or a river. And then, two, even if you do have a four-inch rain, it's not pooling up like it yeah, would on dirt. Can handle the it. sand absorbs it, and so that nest doesn't get soaked. Yeah. And, because, yeah, those eggs only churn temperature for a little while, and they're all dead. Gotcha. And, uh... So, yeah, you have that going on, which is completely out of our control. But then you have, let's say, say there's 10 nests. And if, you know, these rains kill eight nests, that's completely out of our control. But there's still two out there that have made it. Well, then you got an army of coons because nobody's, yeah, nobody's trapping. Nobody's doing anything on the fur bears. And they are just booming. Do you guys call coons? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, that's so much fun. <laughs> we yeah. have to. A lot of money a year they eat. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's so much fun to call. Twenty-five them. coons in one picture. You got to do something. Yeah, we uh, trap a lot of them. Jackson likes to go shoot coons. Had mm-hmm. <laughs> a boy. Yeah, and you have armadillos now. Yeah, that's a new thing. Yeah, those yeah. are fun though. They're harmless. <laughs> <laughs> there are quite a bit of them Kids around. Toys. I've been seeing quite a bit of them here in the last month. We saw one on the way back this morning. We did too. Yeah. They're... Oh yeah. So you didn't have those growing up. No. Mm-hmm. If wow. you saw one, it made the front page of the newspaper. It was. Like, it, it slowly migrated up north. You see one dead on the highway, and it's like, what's that doing here? And then all of a sudden, they're everywhere. Huh. I think I killed eight out of my in-law's front yard last year. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. So, with with these changes in some species, you know, becoming less, some species becoming more, how are the deer doing? I'd say the deer's staying steady. Yeah. Um. I don't see an uptick or a downtick, really. Um, you guys have some tremendous bucks. <laughs> thank you. It uh, it takes time and a lot of effort, but you know we're what, blessed to be in the state we're in. What does that effort look like? I mean, we talk about that, and I think people are starting to understand that guides and outfitters work year round. You know, you only make money for part of the year, but you work all year. Yeah. So, what are you doing in the off season? Um, What's that look like for you? Uh, the off season, which is the busy season, um, 
you know, you're mowing, you're keeping, you're fixing everything that's <laughs> broken from the season. Yep. You're trimming out trees for bow stands, um, planting food plots, keep the feeders full, work on the cameras. Mow uh, paths. Yeah, keep mow them. a lot of trails. And it's just nonstop because if you don't that's get endless. all that done, yep. I mean, once season gets here, you can't like You'll recreate see. that stuff. Yeah. It's just like farming. I mean, you got to start. You got to plant the seed in order to have harvest, and right. it's the same thing with hunting. If you don't maintain it too, if yeah. you don't start early, when it's time to hunt, you're you're going to struggle. Yeah, you're going to see it. Yeah. So yeah, and your clients will see that. They'll know, like, yeah, nobody's been doing anything type of a thing. So you got to stay on top of it. Yeah. And um, it's a ton of work and a lot of money. It is. <laughs> it's just honestly, it's just like farming. It's uh, you work all year. And you only have two yeah. harvests. Yeah. Yep. And we do. I mean, we have deer and we have turkey. That's yep. what we focus on. And you get paid twice a year. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. and then you're at the mercy of mother nature, just like a farmer. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta take care of, just like they take care of the soil, you gotta take care of your herd and you gotta do it right. If you want to keep going. You continuously kill big deer, you gotta yep. maintain what you're doing and improve when you can and mm-hmm. adapt. Very yeah. much. One of the things that impressed me is the from the place that I was hunting, I saw a good representation of every age class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's a difficult thing to achieve. Oh, yeah, yep. it can be. We don't have. I mean, we're lucky. We don't have like winter kill. Yeah. So we don't have the structure of the mother nature wiping out like a year of deer, right. as long as we continue to avoid the diseases. But once Drought. again, you're at the mercy yeah. of Mother Nature. I and CWD is knocking, right? Yeah. It has. It, I think it's, it's been around been for wild. like 20 yeah. years or something. Yeah. It just doesn't. It wiped our mule deer out around here. It just doesn't take grass. And so I don't know why or understand it, but, um, you know, we continue to do what we can to keep our herds healthy. You can't, you also got to, you got to harvest the does. You got to, you got to recognize your areas that are overpopulated and, what what kind of buck to doe ratio are you shooting for? Uh, depends on the area, probably. It, yeah, like what it can sustain. Because we deal with Territory. everything from, mm. I mean, we're out here in western, the western part of the state where you'll see. <laughs> deer on three, four different cameras within four miles. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, you're dealing with like five deer mm-hmm. in an area. Yeah. Whereas you go back east 100 miles and you can be dealing with two 250 deer in that same size area and they're both just as good i mean they both have quality deer it's just one's more fun to sit and watch it is yeah it's more entertaining (laughs) so across the board i mean you just you're dealing with everything with the way we operate like such a big area right um and that's what we have to recognize is like you know some of these areas have a lot of deer and why yeah and for clients like you're gonna you're you're here quality but you're not gonna see the numbers mm-hmm. yeah like five deer showing up at this camera so if you see a deer you have a 20 percent chance that it's gonna be the deer you're gonna be yeah. after you know yeah and yeah it's terrain you got your creeks out here that you know some of those deer when there's water out here we get rains it's hard for them to cross mm-hmm. so you get days if the deer showing up on camera they found a place to cross you're hunting that deer because you may get a day or two, and then they're back on the other side of the creek, mm-hmm. and they're gone for a while. Right. So you know, trying to get the mindset of, of clients saying like, "This is what we're going into," and that way they're not 
you know, coming into it without not knowing anything and like, oh, I only saw two deer. Mm-hmm. Like, well, you saw, you know, 40% of the deer that are on that camera. <laughs> and then it's like, that's pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, you gotta have the mindset going into the hunt, knowing that this is what it's going to be like. Mm-hmm. It, I get the sense that most of your clientele, um, understands age class and that, that they need to be targeting older deer. Is that the culture within the locals in Kansas as well? Mm. Mm. Depends on what area. Yeah, it varies. Um, I think out east you have more people that are thoughtful about that because they're built up around the deer populations in the area. I think deer hunting in general across the whole country has become more, people are letting more deer walk type of a thing, which is good and bad. I mean, the same part. That thick horned eight, eight point. That was hard for me to <laughs> That let was impressive. Go. I, <laughs> you have some strong willpower there. <laughs> you know what? You know what I had, honestly, is friends. Because I was able to take a picture of them through my scope and send it to you and send it to my friends who are, are white-tailed dudes that I really respect. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I, I don't have a ton of experience with whitetail. I've, I've shot plenty of them in plenty of places, but it's not my area of expertise by yeah. any means. So I lean on experts and say, hey, like my heart's jumping out of my chest right now. Obviously, I'm emotional and no place to be making decisions on my own. I need some help. And uh, and everybody, you know, basically said, hey, you're in a great spot. Yeah. Why don't you wait? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you sent right it to me, to I mean, I think, oh. my, I think my response was, that, I mean, it's a nice deer. He's a beautiful deer. Um, very heavy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I pretty well left it to you because of course, you know, you got it's, to. it's your, yeah. Uh, yeah. it's your hunt, your tag, man. You- yeah. And as an outfitter, you're in a precarious place because if you say, Hey, I know there's a better deer around. I mm. know that if you stick to the plan and you ride it out that, you know, the odds are in your favor that you're going to get this mm-hmm. better deer. But if you say, Hey, why don't you let that one walk? And Ugh. then something happens. Yeah. Yeah. And then I end up eating my tag when I would have been happy with that deer. Right. 99 out of a hundred clients blames you for that. Yep. So you can't take that on. Exactly. Um, it's, it's an unacceptable risk. So that's just part of, of dealing with clients that is, is really difficult. Yeah. Yeah, it is. They can't have a hard yes or no in that situation. No. It, yep. There's, I think I've only had one situation ever where a guy sent me a photo and I, my response was yes. <laughs> it, it, he lived in a high fence. And so he looks at like giant deer <laughs> oh, every day. He yes. couldn't gotcha. judge deer. Yeah, he wasn't even going to hunt that trip. And He's like, he, I'll go sit a morning. Yeah. And uh, he could not judge deer to save his life. The free range deer. Right. That deer never showed up over there either. No, it came out of nowhere. And mm. I, I was just like, yep, shoot. Yeah, shoot. <laughs> and then he, after he shot it, he's like, Man, that was a great call. That I can't believe, and he's just—it was so funny. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> so white-tailed deer hunting, obviously one of the most popular hunts in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a species that lots of people have access to. There's there's deer coast to coast, lots of the areas. There's plenty of opportunity to get tags, and a lot of people get stuff wrong, mm-hmm. and and you guys get to see a lot of it. So, what are some common mistakes that people make? Not just here, but just Whitetail hunting in general, um, some advice that you could generally offer to people. Just be patient. Be I patient. Mean, honestly, what, what does that mean? Yeah. Don't, uh, if you go and hunt and you don't see what you're looking for, just Depends right away. age class too. Like, and I mean, don't just think, oh, I got to go somewhere different tomorrow. I mean, as long as the wind's right and that's like 
where you've decided is the best place to best opportunity to harvest what you're trying to get, stick with it. Yeah. As long as the wind's right. Because a lot of guys, they'll just go, and it, I, and I get it 100%. You know, you go twice. You go two whole days. If you go, like, one morning, come out, and you go that evening, and then you do it again the next day. So you go make four sits there in a row, and you still don't see what you're wanting to see. You think you're doing something wrong. It's mentally really hard on you. Yes, well, and you got to trust you're it. You're feeling the clock tick really yeah. hard. It's, like, yep. getting loud in your ear, like, oh, I've only got, you know two days left yeah exactly yeah and so that'd be my advice is uh whatever you started with that you felt was just the best idea stick with it unless during those sits you've learned something new okay if you learn something new like some new knowledge or information on what you're hunting use that to your advantage but if you're still like technically if you look at it and you're like everything i knew going into this is still the best information stick with it yeah don't you don't go trying to do something different just to uh try and make yourself feel better and that's the hardest thing and that's what one thing we understand and it's almost like you gotta be <laughs> you almost have to be good at like coaching people into like hey you, you've got it yeah. man like stick with it <laughs> like, yeah. because we understand it's like man i i don't blame you one bit for wanting to move type of a thing like yeah. a, you've only seen three deer each time type and it's like but when you know like what we know of why we're there it's like most of the time when somebody's ready to move i have a pretty good sit down with them and i say look that's fine i understand if you want to move we have other spots we have other deer I'm just going to let you know somebody else in camp's going to go there. Like, yeah. I still. We need to hunt that deer. Yes. Yeah. My, like our operation still needs somebody in that seat. And usually when I say that, they're like, well, I'll sit there another day. Yeah. <laughs> and it, cause it's like I say, I, at the end of the day, we have to, we have to continue to stick with our guns on where we need to be. Yeah. You know, there are uh, apathetic outfitters out there, but if you're with any kind of a decent or reputable outfitter, they are more invested in your success than you are. Mm-hmm. Yes, 100%. absolutely. So you've got to, even though it's hard to sit in a place for two or three days or 10 days and not see what you're wanting to, but if you've got more days on the hunt and the outfitter is saying we need to stay here, then you need to trust them. Yeah. It's um, always the guys that are the most relaxed in camp that seem to do the best. Like, 100%. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, you can okay. see it in their face. Like, I mean, you get guys that are just real anxious and like, oh, man, I got to, you know, I, yeah. I play a camera roulette because you're watching cameras. You want to jump here, 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 and you're just chasing ghosts. Yeah. You know, you put the time in and they're like, yeah, okay, well, I'll, I'll do it. Those are always seem the guys that shoot mm-hmm. the deer they're after. Yeah. Always. It's weird. It's like some sort of force or something. Like, okay, you're cool. It really is. I mean, it seems like those deer have that sixth sense. Like, Mm -hmm. they feel. You have those guys that are out there, they're just like, yeah, you know, if I, whatever I see tonight, I'm I'm thankful for it. Like, it was a good evening type of a guy. And you got this other guy that comes in, and he's like. Just had bad experience with somebody else or something. He's like, all I saw was two deer. And he's like, where do you think we should go tomorrow? And it's like, well. What two deer did you see? Yeah. What did they do? Where'd they come from? And it's like, well, you know, it was a, it was a little eight point chasing a doe. And it's like jackpot. Yeah. <laughs> that doe's hot. Yeah. We need to stay there, <laughs> you know? And whereas the guy who's more laid back, he would have come back and he would have been like, ah, you know, I seen some, I saw some pretty cool activity and I saw a buck chasing a doe and that's about it. But it's a good evening. Yeah. That guy, he'll, 
he'll go right back there happily. And that's what you need is to stick with it. And them other guys are just like, ah, that's all I saw was just two deer. Yeah. Even on our part, cameras only tell you a 30, 30 foot you know, story. Yeah, 30 foot story. And not even all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you see flashes. That's all you get half the time. Yeah. And gosh, I can't tell you how many times like I'll have a, a client in a stand and an elk will come in and water or something like that and mm-hmm. leave. And they'll be like, well, you, you've got a camera up. You'll, you'll be able to see that bull. Like, <laughs> not necessarily. No, no. Uh-uh. Like, and he could walk in front of the camera and sometimes they just don't trigger. Yeah. Especially during the rut. I mean, mm-hmm. those yeah. animals don't care you for. You get a butt a lot. Yeah, yeah. Like they don't even care about water or food. Right. Like whatever's in front of your camera, they don't care about that. Yeah. <laughs> so. Deer, those, our bucks are checking corn piles. Yeah. They're, they're getting downwind of them. 60 sure. yards. And, and that's cruising by. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's. I've never hunted rifle hunted out of a uh, out of a ground blind before. I was pretty grateful to have a short gun in there. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, definitely. Even with the can on, sixteen inch barrel, I was still able to sit back with my gun on a tripod and not have anything extruding through the window. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got perfect concealment mm-hmm. back there and still have all the rifle that I need. I think that cross rifle is an ideal candidate for yeah. for that type of hunting. Definitely. We've talked about caliber a little bit, and I I like what you said, which is, if I could paraphrase, that people should bring the largest gun that they can shoot well. Yep. The biggest gun you have that you can shoot accurately. Yep. And I don't care if it's a 245 HH. Yeah. And if it's a 338, like, I don't care. But it, because, I mean, we're, we're trying to shoot deer that we've been watching for, you know, six years. Right. When it comes time to make it happen and make it count, we want to, we want to retrieve this animal. Yep. So, number one, the thing that kills them the best is shot placement. But on the other side, we're all human, and you, if you have any air, yeah, if you have a little more energy to hit with, it's going to help you. But if you have too much gun, just because you want to be the guy in camp with a big old gun, it, you're probably going to be the guy in camp that misses, because you're flinching, or you're yanking the trigger, and... That's uh, so that's how I've always worded it. Is yeah, just bring the biggest gun you can shoot accurately. Yeah, and and what does accurately mean to you for the context of the of what you're asking of your hunters? Uh, I mean, basically stack you know three shots and the size of like a most golf of our ball. corns under two hundred yards. You oh know, something yeah, like that. Yeah. I mean, if you two hundred yards, then to me, if you can shoot accurately that more than likely you're not going to have a shot farther than that yeah not very often do and does anybody need to calibrate drop yeah right i mean every year on the average we're right around averaging like 100 to 130 Mm -hmm. yards on our distance and our goal is 100 every year it's where we want to be because no matter who you are you get world-class animal in front of you you're gonna you might be shaking basketball is <laughs> so, bigger at 100 than it is 300 yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. so no i could i could look at my watch and go back and figure out what my heart rate was <laughs> i don't need one of yeah. those the doctor. One, 123 <laughs> is the high point today and i guarantee you that was at about 7 19 a.m yeah yeah, yeah. mine's that every day, All day. <laughs> uh, no but that's that's the real deal is you start um you start feeling all those all those hormones running through your system and it changes your abilities it's not like shooting off of a bench back home yeah, yeah. you gotta learn live yeah. situations you can't teach that yep yeah. 
Yeah. And it's, I've, I see people try to imitate that type of stress, you know, the buck fever stress mm-hmm. with, with fatigue or exercise still wildly different. Oh, and it's, it's challenging to shoot if you're out of breath. It's challenging to shoot if you're tired, but it is, it's different. It does a different thing to you than that stress of, you know, the, the combination of desire for gain and fear of loss. And wanting to know if you hit the animal. Yeah. I've had guys and I say that with archery, and we're not even looking at their peep sight. Right. They don't even realize it. Yeah. And it, dudes shoot rifles and they, you know, pull the trigger and their head's coming out of the scope while the bullet's still trying to get know. down the barrel. It's like, were you looking out of the scope and you pulled the trigger? I think so. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I'm extremely happy with it with the shot that I put on that buck today, that's where I was aiming. That's where the bullet ended up. But even then, you know, you guys asked me, where did you hit him? Like, I felt like it was good, but I couldn't like sign my name on a dotted line Mm -hmm. because I'm a terrible first person witness. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Things happen quickly. Yeah. And you know, I, I just don't know any shooters who can accurately say what happens when they're the one on the trigger. Mm -hmm. And, I'm very much included in that myself. Yeah. He had a good idea. He had to give them a checklist. We send them. Instead of asking them, they fill it out in the stand so we don't feel obligated. Yeah, we're going we're to have like a little questionnaire. <laughs> yeah. Like it's going to have a diet, like a picture, and they're going to draw a circle on where yep. they think they hit it, which way it was facing. Yeah. Tail up, tail down. Yeah. I always tell guys, like the bow hunters, I always say, uh, the most important information you can give me is everything is the last place you've seen it yeah and what it was doing yeah and i always tell them you can tell me where you shot it all you want that's fine i will listen yeah but let me tell you i have went and looked for a lot of deer that were shot in the 12 ring and when we find it i'm like man i didn't realize the 12 ring was in the guts yeah Yeah. you know it's like and it's happened to all types of hunters. And that's and not their fault. It's, no, it's, it's, it's just the image that's in their mind is of perfection. When I've, yeah, and that's what I've learned it's happened with all types of hunters where it's like guys who are complete experts and guys who are very new and all of them do it. And so I get to the point where I'm like, it's something that just happens in that moment. Yeah. <laughs> get the toilet paper out. <laughs> It's going big on the paperwork. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you get expert hunters. I mean, not hunters, but guys, you know, like Olympic competitions. It's a whole different ball game accuracy wise when you're shooting at a live animal mm-hmm. than it is at a pa- piece of paper. Sure. And I, I've seen very competent and skilled competition shooters do really poorly on animals. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to take anything away from them by bringing that up. Only saying that they're different things. Yeah. And competency in one field of shooting doesn't necessarily translate. It can, but your mental game has to be there. And we know that this is 90% mental, but we don't necessarily focus 90% of our practice on that mental aspect. You have to have a mental checklist almost that you go through before the shot's made. Yeah. Before it's, I mean, in preparation. That's why I shoot a two-stage trigger. Yeah. That single thing increases my accuracy by 50% because it alleviates at least 50% of my anxiety. Oh, 100%. Yes. Because God. I take the oh, gun nice. off safe. My my reticle moves to where it needs to. I focus on my breathing. And then I take up the slack on the first stage of that trigger. And in doing so, my mind just calms down so much. And I can relax into 
breaking the rest of the shot with knowing that bullet's going to go off. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm with I you. love that. Yes. I won't shoot a single stage. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. I put them in ARs. A lot of people like uh, single stage for ARs. Mm. I like two stage for everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Even with the guys that have the triggers that you can breathe on, they blow, you know, go off. It's like, still, if it's two stage, you can still feel that instead of accidentally bumping. If you have gloves, if you're yeah. cold, I mean, it's. Yeah. Very safe. Game changer. Yeah. Uh, ultimate deer caliber. Your opinions. Anything but a 6.5. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I mean, I would say a very common Kansas rifle is a 243. Yeah. Um, Tough to beat. Yes. But uh, I know a lot of guys that shoot them with a 300. Yeah. It's on the age three, group, too. 300 is a very common caliber that people bring. Um, Our older guys bring 270s. Yeah. That type of stuff. I've seen, noticed that. I would that. say the most people bring the 300 wind mag but locals i would say a lot shoot 243 270 uh so yeah yeah those are all all excellent options i love a 300 wind mag i love a 243 i think uh 25 out six is a tremendous deer round i know a few people with it yeah yeah they're they're less popular than they were there there's this whole class of rifles that were coming on super strong before laser range finders mm-hmm. and uh people wanted flat shooting guns and there's still a need for them but less so now that we have range finders that can tell us how far stuff is yeah how much yeah. your bullet's going to drop and yeah you know you're talking about the last place that a deer is being really important i think a range finder is an important tool for that that people aren't using mm-hmm. because even like today the last place that i saw that buck you know, he only went, what, 40 yards from where yeah. I shot him. Mm-hmm. But the the last place I saw him was going over a ridge. I thought that it was a different ridge. And had I had the foresight to range it, then I could have went over there and known exactly which ridge it was on. Mm-hmm. I could have plotted it on Onyx, you know, used base map, whatever. Mm-hmm. I would like to see guys use that tool a little bit more. Anything's helpful. Yeah. I mean, any information that you have on an animal that you've hit, will help you no matter what even yeah. the smallest details and it's helped us tremendously tell me about the tail thing i'd never heard about that until today i don't think anybody had i don't it just seems like a deer that's mortally wounded that i've noticed over the years is is it has that adrenaline rush right away and less pain because it doesn't really know what's happened i guess and it seems like the better shots heart lungs the deer run off with their tail up Okay. Is what I've always noticed. And then, you know, hitting anything farther back, you know, those deer aren't moving quite as fast. And they're usually hunched over after, you know, 40, 50 yards with their tail tucked. Interesting. I mean, you might see that if, you know, you shoot the deer and 10 ring him. And when he's getting ready to go over, you'll see it. I mean, he'll do something like that. Yeah. But when he runs, it's like, you know, an alert. He's, he's getting out of there like normal. So if you know that it's hit and the tail's up, then that's a good sign. Oh, to me it is, yeah. I feel I feel really confident about something like that. Yeah. You agree with that, Shane? Yeah. I mean it varies on the each situation. Yeah. But yeah, I would agree. I know that our white tail, I don't know if your white tail do this, but our white tail will flick their tail before they move. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So if they're standing still and their tail hasn't moved, you've got another second. Mm-hmm. If their tail swishes a couple times, they might continue standing there, but 
chances are they're about to. Spin. Yeah, I mean, it's a flag too. If, yeah. you're, if you watch it enough, it's for other deer. Like it's almost like a calming signal. Like you know, I yeah. come in here, it's safe. You'll see does or something hang back, and you'll see that. Like, all right, come on. Right. Because that's that's why their tail is what it is. It's a communication device. Yeah. 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 It's, you, you watch a lot of it and it's like you catch up, you, you see things that you don't, people usually don't notice when you watch enough deer. Sure. And as long as you have to use that to your advantage, because I mean, once you've realized that reading body language like that, like you said, it could help you. You got that extra couple seconds and you know, you're not rushing anything. Yeah. Deer's comfortable. And you know, when I, deer sees that they're comfortable in the corn, the ones even downwind sometimes will come in because they're like, there's already a deer there. Yeah. You know. You know, I never even thought to look at the tail thing. It's something that I'll, of course, pay attention to now. But I love learning stuff like that <laughs> so much. If that was the only thing that I learned from coming to Kansas to hunt with you guys, it would be enough to make the trip worthwhile. And, well, I talk uh, enough, so, you know, you, you learn a lot. <laughs> just take what you want. <laughs> <laughs> Valid point. <laughs> I got to stay awake. <laughs> well, I sure appreciate you guys. If people want to want to get on the list and come hunt with you, how do they how do they do it? Uh, they can go to our website, sixstaroutfitters.com, dot com, and uh, reach out. The <laughs> there's definitely a waiting list. Yeah, there's a lot of people wanting to hunt, but um, we'll stick to our numbers and just keep taking good quality hunts. You've got good quality deer. Thank you. It's been a lot of work, but it's what it's about. Well, thank you for your hospitality and for everything you've taught me and looking forward to getting out there and getting after the coyotes. It's going to be fun. Yes, it sir. looks like tomorrow's going to be a good day. going to be a good day. <laughs> Maiden voyage this year. Yep. Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, gentlemen. Yep. Mm -hmm. What I remember is getting up in the dark, shuffling on out to the pickup and climbing in, heading out, headlights going out over the fields and the roads and getting back into the into the mountains and the timber and knowing that there was a, a destination out there that that I was going to be sharing with my dad and at some point either during the drive or or once we got out to some ridge that we we're going to be watching when the sun came up you'd hear that that little squeak of uh of the lid coming off of the thermos and then you unscrew that top part a little bit pour that coffee or hot chocolate into a cup and uh you can just see the little tiny vapors of steam coming off of it, curling up into the morning and holding on to that thing like like it was a prayer and you know, blowing some of the heat off of it and taking that, that first hot drink in the morning. And then the same thing that evening, you know, because if there was anything left, it was still going to be hot. Like those are core memories. Those are part of part of growing up and part of being an adult and then sharing that now, you know, I'm, I'm getting to share that with my nephew and giving him those experiences. And it's an accessory to the experience. But part of what I remember about hunting and working with my family as a little kid was that there was this green beat to hell, still going strong, Stanley Thermos. And now there's a complete line of Stanley products out there. And if you go to stanley1913.com, you can look into those and see if there's something out there that you need or that you want or that you would like to give to somebody else. And if you use the discount code 6RANCH, the number 6 and the word ranch, and you can get 25% off of just about anything in their store. I encourage you to do it. 
They're great supporters of this show. They're great supporters of this audience. I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for all of your support and your attention. We're not stopping. We're going strong. And uh, I'm glad to, to pass along this discount to you guys. And I hope that you find something that can help develop that core memory for you and, and the people that you love. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share the show with a friend. You can also rate the podcast and leave a review. Your support allows me to keep doing what I love, which is meeting incredible folks and sharing their stories with you. For more content and photos, follow the show on Instagram at Six Ranch Podcast or me at Six Ranch Outfitters. This episode was produced by Emily Brannigan with original music written and performed by Justin Hay. Art for the Six Ranch Podcast was created by John Chatelain and digitized by Celia Christofferson. Tune in every Monday for a brand new episode of the Six Ranch Podcast. I'll catch you next week.